Well, hey, what's up, everybody? Tom Miller here from Leaders Building Leaders. So glad that you have uh, clicked on this podcast. This is one of my favorite stories to tell. This actually is an interview that we did with the North Carolina Association for Public Charter Schools, where I was able to share, not just myself, but my teammate Katie and I were able to share our charter school story and the story from where the five characteristics of effective charter schools comes from that is pretty much the foundation of everything that I do as a, as a, a supporter of uh, schools, whether it's private schools, district schools, or charter schools. This research goes back 40 plus years, going all the way back to the effective school movement. Um, so, so I'm really excited that you're going to listen to this upcoming interview. I'm going to share those five key characteristics. Katie and I are going to share how we've learned to implement them or, or how we've seen them in other schools. And then we're going to give you some strategies that you could take right back to your school and, and embed starting uh, tomorrow. Now, make sure you hang out all the way to the end, because at the end of the podcast, I'm going to tell you where you can go to find out more about these five characteristics and some free resources and some free opportunities for you uh, to be able to instantly begin to assess where your school is in terms of those five characteristics and what would be your first action steps in order to improve your school. So thanks everybody for listening. So let's cue the music and let's head on into the episode. Welcome to the Principal's Office Podcast, where we believe that the principal's job is the most interrupted job on the planet, and creating a clear and cohesive plan is the best way to improve your school. I'm your host, Dr. Tom Miller. I'm the founder of Leaders Building Leaders, and it's my goal each week to introduce you to new strategies and initiatives that are improving schools across the country. You're going to learn leadership principles that are going to help you accelerate your growth, build your teams, and execute on those goals so you can exceed those expectations of the communities that you aim to serve. If you want to learn more about what we do, you can go to our website at lbleaders.com. But for right now, enjoy this episode. Thanks for listening. actually started asking myself that question right when when do when do schools actually take the time to ask like are, are we any good or not like does it matter and I'll be very honest I don't ever remember asking myself or asking my principal or wondering whether we were a good school or not when I was an exceptional children's teacher it could be a big part of my ego too Katie I don't know but but so my first seven years I was a special ed teacher in in, um, in New Hanover County School District and and I moved to be a charter school teacher as a resource room. And then uh, at that point, I actually, uh, I loved the titles and I love, you know, badges. So if you've been on any of our calls, I've talked about my story about the badge. And I got a job at UNC Wilmington and uh, worked there. And I thought I would never leave because what, who would ever want to leave the university life? It was so great. Um, but it wasn't until during that time, uh, UNC Wilmington started to open their doctoral program. And I never saw myself as anything superintendent, but that's what it was for. But someone who was really one of my mentors in a program said, well, you know, get your letters and you could do whatever you wanted to do. And so I started. And, uh, and it, was, it was that time that I realized that uh, I really didn't know much about leadership. I was really lost when it comes to leadership and what effective schools were. And, that's, and that was the journey that my dissertation chair and I started to go on. 
was uh, what are these charter schools and are they any good and and are they any better and 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 so that was that that's how this this conversation as you you hear this lesson we're about to talk in a couple of minutes it basically started with that initial conversation like what are charter schools doing what are they are they any good how do we know um, and I'll never forget the you know the first drive like it just you know kind of at the time there was like 98 charter schools across the state Katie and Rob and everybody and and um, there was 12, there were 17 schools that we had identified who could be in our study. And we used at the time, they used to use like Honor School of Excellence, if you remember mm -hmm. that. Um, and then so we, so we found, you know, these 17 schools that either were Honor Schools of Excellence for three or more years in a row, or had exceeded growth for three or, year, three or more years in a row. So there were 17 schools. And uh, I emailed all the principals. I didn't know any of them. And uh, pretty much five of them responded. And, and those five leaders started, which is amazing to me even thinking about it now, that email, that conversation has, you know, basically created a path for my last 10 years, hmm. the starting of this business and the work that we continue to do. And we, we use these characteristics every day. And that first car drive was about, you know, um, it was about six hours long from uh, Wilmington, North Carolina to where I was heading. It was way out in the mountains um, to get there. And, and when I arrived, Katie, the school was just jammed into the corner of a mountain. It had beautiful mm -hmm. gardens and it had the, um, like the water barrels, you know, on the side. Yeah, and it was yeah. tiny. And, and, um, and the entire city park the, like, was their playground. They had this oh. you know, partnership. So the kids, it was a K-8, like 180 kids. And um, that was the first school. And, and so I'm going to share more about that. But like when I pulled up, like if I ever would have realized where I would be now, right, to be so honored to work with all of you and, and to be parts of your teams and, and to be able to share these characteristics, I would have never thought that. Right? I was like, I'm going to get my letters and like work at the university forever. And that's, that's, not, that's not what I did. So that's a little bit of my you know, story and how we got here. So Katie, tell us your story. So. Uh... I graduated with my master's degree bright and shiny and started as a reading specialist and English teacher and I worked with kids who had learning disabilities worked at a private school and I worked with um, for the reading specialist I worked with kids who are in middle school who are reading at the second third fourth grade level so I became Orton Gillingham trained and uh, still believe that's the best reading program out there but I was able to get four years of growth out of those kids in one year and what got me the most was that people were willing to throw these kids away. And luckily they had parents who could spend $20,000 a year. Now this was in 1993. So $20,000 a year for their children to get a private education so they could learn to read. So then I went on and taught middle school and high school and community college. And everywhere I went, I saw kids and adults who were, people were willing to throw away. That the system was like, now nah, we'll never get them. You know, I had a student with a parole officer when I taught at West Charlotte High School. And you know, the principal said, don't worry about him. He's not going anywhere. And I said, well, he's in my class, so he's going somewhere. And so uh, I don't know how much he learned that year, but he knew he was loved. Uh, and so if that's all I could teach him that year, then, you know, that was okay by me. He might be ready the next year. But I just kept thinking that this is such a shame that there are so many kids this is human potential we are throwing away. I remember having a conversation with my husband, who's a CPA, uh, not involved with schools, except for our three children. 
and and I was showing him some statistics of schools on the west side of Charlotte where you know only 30% were reading and computing math on grade level and one of our sons came up and said wait a minute that's only one in three there are three of us that means only one of us would be able to read on grade level and and it kind of hit home for my husband because this is awful he assumed that all schools were like the high performing schools that our children attend we just happen to live in south charlotte you know some of the best schools in the state actually the elementary school was the best elementary school in the state for seven years running while our kids were there i don't think our kids had anything to do with it but he just thought wait a minute this isn't right he assumed all schools were like our neighborhood school i said no no not by a long shot and i and i had always wanted to open a school and he said well, you always wanted to open a school why don't you get started i said well i can't do it by myself so we got started we built a board and we met at the dining room table that's in the next room and we met every night for about a year writing this application building a mission and a vision and thinking about what would create an effective school. We didn't know what we were doing, um, but we just thought, what, what's it gonna take? And a lot of the concepts we're gonna talk about today were what we talked about when we were building that charter application. I love it. I love the story about the dining room table, right? Because that's, that's where it really all uh, begins. And I, so I think it's important as we start to actually dive into learning now because that's why everybody's here right katie everybody's tired of uh -huh. hearing about our stories and what we find <laughs> effective and i see that there was a question already so if you have a question while we're going please put it in the chat box and let us know if we say something you like let us know i don't know i think you can put thumbs up here or put yes in the chat box so let's uh -huh. let's make this a conversation not not really uh the tom and katie show you don't want it the tom show because you'll never you'll never get it back from so um <laughs> so let's so let's get started here so what i love is that what Katie said about, you know, it started with an idea and a vision, right? And it started with awareness. There's a need. And I think when I, when I asked the original question, like how do you know your school is effective or not? At the time when I started teaching, there were no report cards. You know, there was these rankings, but I don't know. I mean, we never really thought about it or talked about it. And towards like my later career in the school system, you know, they started to offer like the bonuses, right? but I don't know. And it, it never made me work harder for my kids. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I think where, what Katie just shared is the whole beauty of, of uh, public charter schools is the opportunity to take an idea to a heartbeat, but it starts with your mission, right? So that's the first, char first characteristic. So write this down, a clear school mission. And so, the effective charter schools that we've found, they live their mission daily, right? They know it, they breathe it, it pours out of them, right? It's just, it's just there, it's everywhere. It's more than just words on paper. And the mission is the heart of, of, of your organization. It's what keeps it, you know, pumping. I mean, it's really so critical. But we don't find a ton of organizations that are, that are mission-driven. You know, they don't all, all understand the mission. So the ones that we find that are most effective have clarity in terms of how they communicate their vision, how, how they make decisions under their uh, mission. It's carried out in all aspects of their school. Um, it's more than just kind of chanting words, right? Because sometimes we see that, but then I, you know, your actions speak louder than your words. So your, you, so your actions have to match 
your uh, mission and it keeps all stakeholders focused on what's most important. And so one of the things, you know, that we all hope, and I remember having this conversation with Joy, Joy Warner, community school of Davidson was one of those five schools that answered the email. That's where I first met her. You know, she said, oh, well, you know, we hope that everybody comes to us, you know, because they love our mission. That's not always true. We want to think mm -hmm. that because that's how we act, <laughs> right? You're here because of what we believe is the best um, education environment for kids and adults. And so um, they, so great organizations rarely stray from their mission, okay? Because uh, even a slight deviation, like you can see it, it causes such a flutter. It's like, oh, no, no, that's, that's not what we do here, right? That's not, that's not how we behave. That's not how we're, you know, working to exist. You know, someone brings, you know, an idea. You know, we all, let, now listen, I'm on a charter school board, so I can speak as a board, a board member. Sometimes board members read, you know, read stuff and they go, oh, wouldn't it be great if we had, you know, you know, uh, I read an article that everybody who takes Latin in third grade goes to be a doctor or something. Oh, yeah, what, what a great, what, what, how's that part of our mission? See, if you don't have clarity in that mission, all those ideas just keep uh, coming in. So, that, so, so the mission should resonate with everybody, um, whether they just come on their first day or whether they've been there from the beginning. Like, it should be able to be easily communicated. It should be short. Everybody should know it, and you can train around it. Um, it should define your organization, um, taking you in the right direction, inspires passion, right? And, and, um, and does it say how you want to be remembered? And um, so a few examples that Katie and I uh, pulled that we really like, and so we'll talk about some of the charter schools here uh, in Charlotte, North Carolina, you have Sugar Creek uh, Charter School, uh, Katie. And mm -hmm. so Sugar Creek's mission is to eradicate generational poverty by providing a college and career preparatory education from kindergarten to 12th grade. That's something I can rally behind, right? I know exactly what that school is about just by reading uh, their mission. Uh, Clover Garden School. So this is a you know, completely different school. It's another K-12 school, but there's uh, Clover Garden School will foster community generate enthusiasm, challenge students academically, and produce successful citizens. I know exactly what they do. It's short, it's easy to uh, remember, okay? Uh, so those are, those are a couple of, of, of the um, examples that we pulled. Oh, another one was the Charlotte Lab School, right? It's to, That's right. It's to rethink schooling in the 21st century. I mean, you have, to, you have to be able to love that, rethink schooling. And during this COVID times, like, <laughs> they should be already well advanced, right? They should be able uh, to do it. Um, and then, and then oh, one more was, was the Explorer School, right? And there's, I may get theirs a little bit off, but it's, but it's, to, it's to solve global, global and local uh, problems, you know, like across the street and across the globe, right? To be the catalyst for solving problems across the street and around the globe. Right? They just love to solve global problems locally. That's why, they, and if you've ever walked through the Explorer School, it's very experiential and, you know, project-based learning um, and exactly what it needs to be. So that's so that's your so that's your mission piece, okay? So it has to have a clear mission, and everything starts uh, with there. Now, so let's talk about the second characteristic, which is um, education plan, right? A, a student-focused education plan. And so when you're talking about an education plan, it, I challenge you, I challenge you to find one of those high-performing schools. And I challenge you to ask anybody, whether it's a teacher or the principal, 
what their education plan is if they can't give you a nice short 30 second synopsis, right? I mean, when we go into schools and we ask that a question, it's the schools that don't have clarity in their education plan. And when I say education plan, it's what we teach, how we teach it, right? And how we know the kids have learned it. So just focus on those three questions. Uh, you know, they, they nail it. They know exactly, right? what what we teach and how we teach it so it's really important for you as an organizational leader as a as a you know charter principal or a board member to make sure that it's just really crystal clear to your teachers because if it's not if it's all over the place then that creates a lack of coherency and a lack of coherency with your education plan um, will will down the road create a problems, which might be happening right now, right? So if you're having a hard time shifting your education plan from a brick and mortar to a remote, you know, uh, situation, it could be uh, because you have a lack of coherence, mm-hmm. right? Because you may have different grade levels, you know, doing different things for uh, different kids. So the question that we probably get asked most often is what's the best education plan for just, you know, fill in the blank kid, right? At-risk kids, AIG kids, whatever. And I go, oh my God, I love that question. And I start <laughs> looking over my shoulder, Katie, like, like I'm going to drop like the biggest secret on the, you know, in the world. Come in closer, come in closer. Say, the plan you implement. <laughs> because that's the truth, right? They get all, you know, disappointed in that. But the plan that you adopt and say, this is, this is what we teach right? This is our curriculum. This is how we teach it. This is our instructional methods. However, we deliver it, you know, could be project-based, could be experimental-based. I came from a, you know, direct instruction uh, behavioral school. Like I saw, like whatever it is, you want to make sure that everybody knows and understands it, right? And if you're going to make tweaks, you're just making personalized, subtle tweaks to ensure you're going to get the best results. Because if you continue to like try to you know, redo your education plan every year. It takes years to be able to master. I mean, 10,000 hours is what creates, uh, you know, a, a master anything. So if every year I'm learning a new curriculum and a new education plan, it's probably part of the reason why you might not be performing at the level you need it, right? So it's these three questions. You want to write these questions now. How will I know what students are going to learn today? Mm-hmm. Right? And how will I know that they've learned it? And what am I prepared to do when they don't? Or if they do, right? Question three is kind of has a, um, like a chart, right? It's a, it's a flow chart. Yes, they mastered it, go here. No, they didn't master it, go there. Mm-hmm. But they know those three answers and it's very, very clear to them. But it all starts at the very uh, beginning by understanding that we have a way of knowing where to start a child's education, right? We have these systems and processes, right? I call them preventative systems, right? Um, to, to make sure that we start teaching kids where they're at, not where they're supposed to be, mm-hmm. it's where they're at. So they've got these systems of prevention and intervention. Everybody knows what they are. I know what curriculum I'm pulling from. I know where to start. I know how to assess them, formal assessments, you know, some of the whatever you choose to use, it doesn't matter, use something so it can inform you. And then where do they go after? 
And so I wanted to think of a couple of really great examples that were from my dissertation, Katie. And I want mm -hmm. you to hop in here and, you know, maybe someone in the chat box has. So let's, um, you know, we'll stop a second and see if there's any questions before we go to the next, next characteristic. But I remember the uh, Franklin Academy, which is a K-12 uh, charter out here towards me um, in the Triangle area. Um, they had like one of the most amazing prevention systems and intervention plans I've ever seen. And, and, and so they had this very cohesive education plan. They're a K-12, but this was, you know, K-8. And so it, they used some direct instruction uh, um, resources like SRA, you know, reading mastery. So every day, kids took some sort of formative assessment. And if they didn't pass it, they immediately went to this, you know, double dose reading or double dose math. And they did that for two weeks. So they had, you know, two readings and two maths a day to catch up. And then they would, you know, you know reassess and go back in, right? So if they were able to come back in. So there was never a time where these, you know, students and the teachers didn't know exactly where they were. Now, they could only do that because they had cohesion. Now, that might not be the plan for you, which is perfectly fine. That's not what I'm saying, because remember, I told you, any plan will work, right? Any diet plan works, any workout program works, if you work it. <laughs> but this is what they did. Mm -hmm. And so somebody argued during my dissertation about, well, isn't the reason why, you know, these schools are so high performing, you know, really because, you know, their kids, you know, look like you, Tom, and, and they're not, you know, at risk. And I said, well, what if I were to argue and say their school is high performing because at the very beginning, their first day of school, or maybe even preschool, they were already preparing that child for their education plan here, right? They closed the gap so fast before it even started with them. And I'll give you an example, then I'm going to let you talk, Katie. Community School of Davidson, I was sitting in their room, right? It was Joy Warner, and they had just opened that beautiful high school. If you haven't been to the Fresh Day Conference, you got to go and go see the high school. But I was sitting in the room. It was my first meeting with Joy, and this high school boy, you know, came in, and he was a rising ninth grader. And um, it was in the middle of the summertime. It was, it was almost, you know, you know, middle of June, maybe, you know, maybe start of July. And he walked by, and Joy said, hey, you know, and, and uh, she said, oh, he, he thinks he's here to take placement assessments. But really, he's here because we're going to get to know him and do some kind of interest inventories with him. So we, so we build a relationship now. And then we can maybe help him when he first comes to school, because we can set him up with some of our other rising ninth graders who has similar interests to be able, you know, so his first day of school seems more successful, right? Mm -hmm. So they weren't even thinking about the academic part. They were all about the social piece. And I was like, oh my gosh, like here I was a charter school principal, like terrible. And I was, I was, I had this amazing experience to go learn from these leaders. I mean, that's one of the reasons why we started the, you know, school year consortium is so, you know, being a principal, so isolated, get out of your own building and get into the building of other great leaders. Like she was blowing my mind. I'm like, boy, they had so much intentionality. Mm -hmm. This kid's not even enrolled yet. He hasn't even started yet. And they already have all this pre-data that they collected to make sure that he is most comfortable coming in on day one. It's just awesome. Right now there's lots of examples of that, you know, those two, but they're just very preventative to ensure that students feel and are successful and teachers, most importantly, have a path to success with every child. Hmm. Do you have any thoughts on those? Well, yeah, you know, my, my dad was in the military. We moved every 18 to 24 months. 
how great it would have been <laughs> to have a system like Joy Warner had. I, you know, I had to form my own friendships and I remember advocating for myself the first day of class because I was in the wrong math class. I was in with my sister who let's just say wasn't a real high achiever. So I knew I was in the wrong class and I raised my hand and said, can I go speak to my counselor? And I told my counselor, I'm going to college and this is not the math class that'll take me there. Most, you know, I told my mom later and she, she was horrified. She's like, Katie, you shouldn't have to do that. I said, but I did. And I'm in the right math class. So I'm good. But, uh, you know, but students shouldn't have to advocate for themselves. You can't rely on them to be a pushy person like I am, right? You know, because not all kids are, <laughs> thank goodness. So, but yeah, we, we need, um, you know, those kinds of systems you have to be a place to take care of kids, you know, because relationships have to come first. We're learning that more um, than ever during COVID-19, right? That relationships yeah. really matter. Now, we did have one question in the chat that Rhonda put in here. Um, how do you all evaluate whether your school is affected or, or not? I'm sure Rhonda was putting that out. So if people had, you know, answers in there about how they, how they currently evaluate, please put them in the chat. We would love to hear your answers. Yeah, yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll uh, talk about that towards the end, kind of how you take this, you know, a framework and start to, start to make it your own. So, so far we've answered why we exist, right, the mm -hmm. mission, and what we do, right, yeah. we teach kids. So, so that's where we're at right now. And mm -hmm. so just to sum up the education plan, three questions, what do we teach, right, mm -hmm. uh, how do we teach it, and how do we know that it's working? Like, you got to be able to answer those three questions, and then every teacher should be able to answer every day, what is it that students are going to learn today? How will I know that they've learned it? And what am I prepared to do if they do or if they don't? Okay, so make sure you've got answers to those questions that every teacher should know them. So let's move on to the third characteristic, Katie. Sure, sure. So the third one that we see in effective schools is they have an effective school culture. And it's not any old school culture. It's a school culture that's focused on student learning through two things values and relationships. So it's when you walk in, you can sense that, oh man, they have a certain set of values and they have really strong relationships here. And that's what's driving academic achievement. But let's first define that word school culture or that phrase because it gets used a lot. So think of it as the way that teachers and students work together through a shared set of beliefs, values, and assumptions. Everybody works with the same beliefs, values, and assumptions. And those beliefs, values, and assumptions drive behavior. They're not just doing willy-nilly what they wanna do. That's what we see in low-performing schools. But in these highly effective schools, everyone is singing the same song. They're all chanting the same response, right? They, they believe the same things. So school leaders do this five ways. They establish the school culture five ways. First, they clearly communicate. What do we value? What do we believe? And what do we assume? Right? What do, you know, the values, you know, they value honesty, integrity, um, and, and they do it in verbal form. You know, it's how they talk to each other. It's how they greet each other. Uh, that it's in written form. It's in their practices. You know, do they stand outside in the hall and, and greet students? Good morning. How are you doing? Do they, you know, once I've seen teachers who have the special handshake for every single student. And now whenever I see that, I'm like, gosh, how do they remember when you have like 25 students? But these, but these effective schools do that. But they also do it in their signage, in their messaging, their, their school mascot. All of that conveys what they believe in, what they value, and what they assume about every student. Uh, they'll have positive messages 
Now, during COVID-19, you'll see these positive messages in their Facebook Live sessions or on their Instagram posts or on their website, how they're celebrating their seniors or their eighth graders or their fifth graders who are all making transitions. You're going to see it in the way they show how much they love their kids. Now, in the school building, you'll see it in the transition areas. So in one school that we went to, they had a sign that said, thank you for keeping our halls silent. That is so positive, right? You're not saying, shh, student learning, you know? You're saying, no, thank you. They are assuming the best. And so I read that and I'm like, oh, and I was talking. <laughs> so, I, oh, we're not supposed to talk. Uh, so they'll also have model student work on the bulletin board and awards on the walls, just to keep communicating what they value, believe, and assume. So that's number one for establishing school culture. Number two, strong relationships. They, the school leaders have strong relationship with teachers, staff, students, and parents. Everyone feels known and seen and heard, um, even in the big schools. But so once you've established those values, beliefs, and assumptions, you can establish them all day long. But if you don't have a strong relationship, no one's going to live them because they don't have a reason to. But a relationship will motivate people to really dig in and adopt what the school leader has lined, you know, lined up for the school. Because without those relationships, everyone will default to the behaviors they're comfortable with. And that's not always pretty, right? So you, so you have to have, you know, clearly communicated values, beliefs, and assumptions, and then you have to cement that with relationships. So the next one is safety and discipline. Now, every parent wants their kid to be safe, right? That's Maslow's first you know, hierarchy of need is you have to establish a safe place for students to go. Even now that we're remote learning, parents have to feel safe when their students get on Google Meets or on Canvas or Zoom like we are on right now. They have to make sure that you know, that's okay for their child. And so schools are doing their best to say, no, we're gonna monitor this. We're gonna put in the safety protocols. So when your child's on here, he's protected, he's safe and he's learning. Um, but parents also want kids to feel loved. That's all I wanted was my three boys to go to school and their teachers to take care of them, to love them and to see the best of them. And in these successful schools, you know, these are schools that have over a thousand kids, but those kids feel known, loved and heard. So that's number three, safety and discipline. Number four, these schools are attractive. You mentioned uh, Community School of Davidson. I mean, when I walk through Community School of, school of Davidson, I'm like, man, I wish I was 15 again and I could go to school here. It's just so inspiring. I mean, they have beautiful artwork outside of every single classroom. It's just, and it's, it's definitely clean, but it's, it's not just that. Every teacher owns their classroom and makes it their own. And so you might have a really artistic classroom, you can have a really structured classroom, but in any of them, it, may, it invites wonder and it invites learning. So that's number four, it has to be attractive and clean. And then number five, they engage parents. So these effective schools, they clearly define a parent's role and you know, this one, Tom, is so important that it's actually our next way that, you know, if the characteristic of an effective school is parent engagement. So let me just recap those five, um, five ways to build school culture. So you focus on clear communication of those values, beliefs, and assumptions. Number two, you build strong relationships. You make it safe and disciplined. It has to be clean, 
and attractive, and then you engage your parents. I don't know, is that what you've seen when you're in effective schools, Tom? Oh yeah, sorry, I had a, I wanted to make sure I didn't want to interrupt you. So sure. I've all learned that I have to mute myself and makes myself turn around. Yeah, I mean, I think you nailed it, Katie. I mean, like when I really thought about this, you know, or I didn't think about it until I built my awareness, but it's that learning environment. And that's really what you're talking about, right? Like mm -hmm. everybody feels welcomed and part of it and valued and that I, 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 I belong here. Like when you, you know, we spend a lot of time in schools and that's a question that we ask students a lot. How do you feel when you walk the hallways here? You know, what do you love about this school? What do you not like about this school? And those effective school, they, they can tell you. And in fact, some, some effective schools, as we you know, talked about later, this, the uh, students are part of the hiring process. Like they yeah. know what feels good at our mm -hmm. school. Um, and that's what they do. So yeah, so yeah, so I think you nailed that one, especially with those five. Can you say those, those five one more time so I can make sure everybody caught them? What are those five characteristics? First one is clearly communicate those values, beliefs, and assumptions. Number two, create strong relationships. Number three, the school must be safe and disciplined. And you can feel that when you walk in a building, right? I've, I've been in a school mm -hmm. where I was like, I want to leave right now. And in other schools where I'm like, I want to I live here, right? You know, and it's just how you feel when you walk or, in. Or is anybody here? Maybe sometimes you... Does anybody work here? Like you're just kind of waiting at that restaurant, right? You're like, is, is anyone yeah. here? Like, is this right. school open today? <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, and they have to be clean and attractive, right? You don't want to walk into a school where you wouldn't leave your own child. Uh, and then the last mm. one is parent engagement. They have high parent engagement. Yeah. And so here's kind of the um, here's kind of the acid test for that. Walk into your school as a guest. Mm -hmm. Call your school as a guest apply for enrollment as a parent like mm -hmm. you've got to switch your mindset take your hat off and i'm telling you do those things everything that a stakeholder would experience at your school go through car line not now obviously because it would be super fast but go through car like you will learn so much as long as you are willing to open your eyes right and listen and observe follow mm -hmm. students for the day you will learn so much about your culture so Okay, yep. Katie, hit us with number four. What's the fourth characteristic of effective schools? So I love this one. So they have multiple levels of parent engagement. So they realize that parents know their children better than anybody else, right? They brought them into the world. And um, children are their parents' best assets. So they want what's best for their kids. And, you know, people will say, no, these parents don't care. I've never met a parent who doesn't care. They might not be able to show up every day and tutor, but, but every parent cares. You just have to find a way to connect with them. And effective schools count on building strong relationships with parents so they can reach their mission because they know they can't do it alone. So they engage these parents as partners and they invite parents into the educational process. But they don't just do it willy-nilly. They don't just say, hey, parents, come on in. And then you have parents doing whatever they want. No, no, no. They clearly define what engagement looks like. Um, and, you know, we've, I've been a school leader, and I know there's those parents who said, well, I'm going to be here every day. And then I just, my, I feel panicked. Like, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do with her every day? I'm like, no, 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 wait a minute. She doesn't get to define that. The school leader gets to define that. So, you know, think about it this way. Every parent has a different set of skills, interests, and availabilities. And the effective schools provide multiple on-ramps for parents to support the school. Uh, you know, so it could be 
monetary, you know, I'm just going to write a check, but it could be like, maybe they have a baby at home, so they can't come in and volunteer, but you can send home projects for them to put together. Uh, that's what I did when my youngest was a baby and my son, my oldest was in kindergarten. I couldn't be there, but I could collate the heck out of those little reader books that they were doing. And I, and I was happy to contribute. You know, I, I was like, I can do that while the baby naps. Um, you know, maybe a parent is a scientist and can lead students through a science project. I used to go into my son's class and teach reading and writing lessons, and that's what I do. And the teacher was thrilled because she wasn't a writer, but I could talk about the publishing process and kind of demystify that. Uh, but, but at the end of the day, these schools find these different ways to connect with parents and make them feel, feel valued. Um, they're very intentional about it too. They give parents a clear purpose, and they explain that um, the research shows that uh, the more parents are engaged, the more students value school. And it's not just my child in, in valuing school because I'm there. No, when they see a parent there, all students say, oh, this must be a valuable place because that parent does not have to be here. So it sends that message. And, and so schools, effective schools take advantage of that. So they could be spreading mulch to being a reading buddy, but the formula is simple. Be warm and welcoming, be clear in what you want them to do and tell them that they are impacting children's lives. So those three things, that's what the effective schools do. They're warm and welcoming. Oh, we're so glad you're here. Be clear in what you want them to do and tell them you are making a difference in these children's lives. When I was a reading buddy, I wanted to know how they did on the EOG. <laughs> so I was like, I know you can't tell me what their grade is, but just tell me, did they grow? <laughs> you know, uh, and the teacher usually like on the slide did tell me how they did, uh, but I wanted to know. Uh, you know, so schools like, you know, Success Academy up in New York, right? They, they know how to engage with parents and they set really clear expectations. So when we shifted into this remote learning, they did it seamlessly because parents already know that they hold a really important role in their child's education. For schools that didn't have that relationship with parents, they really struggled, right? Because that's the first step they had to do was establish, this is now your responsibility. For schools like Success Academy, parents already knew that. So there was no loss of learning time, right? So, you know, thinking about other ways schools, uh, parents have been involved. Uh, you know, you mentioned Explorers. They have a parent, they lead parent workshops. Uh, you know, think of Dave Machado. So Dave Machado is the head of the Office of Charter Schools, but he wasn't always. He was a parent at Lincoln Charter, right? And then he joined the board, and then he became the school leader, and now he's the head of the Office of Charter Schools. So, you know, recognizing who key players can be to affect change at your school, whether it's collating readers like I did, um, or joining the board, it's really key for, for people, for school leaders to keep an eye out on who can be pivotal in creating change at schools, which leads us to the fifth ways, you know, fifth, fifth characteristic of an effective school. Yeah, thanks, Katie. Prior to getting into that, because I'm going to hold anticipation because that's maybe the most important one of the five. <laughs> we always leave the last one for the most important. You made me really think about, you know, this multiple levels of parent engagement. And I think Dave, Dave is a really good example, right? Someone who was a parent, now he's the head of, you know, the state's, you know, charter schools. Might not even know what a charter school was. It reminds me of Rudy Swalford, actually. He was, a Greensboro Academy was mm -hmm. part of our dissertation study. And Rudy was the same case. He was, he was a parent 
who volunteered. I'm going to, if Rudy's on or he was, I think he was doing some sort of math or computer you know, class as a volunteer, became the principal later of Greensboro Academy. And now he's the principal of Summerfield Academy. So he's led, he's one of only a few uh, charter leaders I know who's led two schools that have received an A. So I think Rudy understands leadership and understands, you know, charter school. But my first day walking into Greensboro Academy and any, you know, NHA school, the National Heritage Academy schools has this. As soon as you walk in the first door to the left, Katie, it says uh, parent workroom. Hmm. And they have established an intentional space for parents to come in that has what they need. It's got computers. So let's say like a parent gives an excuse, like, I'm, you know, I'm in college or I need this or I need that. Like we've known charter leaders that have built those spaces inside their school, whether it's computers. I heard one leader put like, you know, a washer and dryer. So you can come and do your laundry if you want, like whatever, like remove the barriers to create these multiple levels. But you have to, this is, I think the biggest, there's, there's two massive problems that we, that, that we're all guilty of, I think, you know, leading through assumption when it comes to parents. One is what does the word engagement mean at your school, right? So just like the school culture, you've got to also define the word engagement. Mm-hmm. And like you talked about Success Academy, communicate those expectations of what engagement is. It can't just say that you have to do 100 hours. Like, well, what do 100 hours look like? I, mm-hmm. like? I don't even know what that means. Like, show me how I can be engaged and build me those multiple vehicles, I think, is the way that you really, really uh, put it well, of how to get there. So I remember I was leading a whole training for a staff, and they were so down on the parents. And, and I said, I'm a parent, and I'm a charter school member. And what you're asking, you know, parents to do to like check homework every day, like, do they know that? Because I don't do that. And I find I'm fairly like involved. (laughs) So sometimes we lead by assumption. So don't lead through assumption with your parents. Have a real clear from the very get-go what you want to see and then help them get there by uh, building on onboarding ramps, right? Lots of ramps where they can engage themselves and don't, don't make it so hard. Make it a nice, easy yes. Uh, for them, for them to get in there, and then that's and, and that's part two, is that have something for them to do. I made the mistake when I was a principal. I was a middle school uh, principal, and all the teachers complained about was we get no volunteers here. So I rallied up about thirty of them, and they showed up one day, and then I realized, Katie, well, I don't have anything for them to do. <laughs> I didn't collect the information. So years later, when I was at Austin Charter Schools consultant, I was at the Tiller School, and I see Kelly Riley's on here. They still had this box. It was an index card box, and it had all these, you know, projects in that you could do, whether it was during school hours, after school hours, or like on weekends. And it was like a task analysis of, mm. you know, raking or this or that. So when you know parents were in the car line, they could come into the building, grab a card, and do it. It was all there yeah. for them. Or they could grab a card and and have their husband help over the weekend, maybe if he wasn't able to do it. So be intentional with all of this. I, I think that's a theme maybe with these characteristics. There's a lot of well thought out intentional actions happening in these uh, five. So let's get to the fifth one. Um, and that is strategic personnel decisions. So, so far we've talked about why schools exist, right? Mm-hmm. We, we've talked about what they do. We've talked about like how they'll be successful, right? So school culture, uh, parent engagement, like mm-hmm. here's the other real key one, strategic personnel decisions. And these, and these effective schools, Katie, it's like they're playing chess. Like, they're not playing checkers. Like, right. that's low-hanging fruit. Like, they are so amazing at utilizing and recruiting people because they never stop. Like, all they want to do is surround themselves with good people. 
like I mentioned, you know, Rudy Swafford, he was, he, he was a parent. He came in as a volunteer. Somebody saw something in him. Hey, Rudy, everything about being a principal? No, I think you'll be good at it. Rudy's pretty darn good at it, if you know who I'm talking about. So, like, they're very strategic. And they had these, they had this keen eye for talent. They hire for attitude, right? And then they train for skill if they have to. Or they put them in a position where they know they're going to be successful. And I, I'll never forget, when I was working at that charter school, uh, you know, the way I got hired is this. I left the school system. I didn't know anything about charter schools. He said to me, Mark Kramer said to me, who uh, was my first boss in a charter school, he said, you know, we are going to open up 100 charter schools in North Carolina. We're going to put one in every county. And you could be the exceptional children's director of those 100 schools. Like, I was like, where do I sign? I'll work for free because he knew how to bring me in by saying you could be the, he painted me in the picture of the future of the school. So that's what these leaders are really great at. They have good one-on-one -on -one conversations. They understand talent. They have a clear vision for where the school's going. So then they can say, I see you in this role. I know you want to be this. Let me help you get there. So the first part is getting the person there. The second part is creating that, you know, buying an energy of what they could be. And then the third part of the strategy is you've got to equip, right? You've got to mentor okay. and equip and give them opportunities to be, you know, successful. Like, you know, we've got, you know, some schools, um, community school Davids, I know we use that as an example a lot, but, you know, Joy has built this monthly uh, principal system where you as a teacher can apply for this uh, program where mm -hmm. one day a month, you know, you spend outside of your four walls of the classroom and you're an administrator. You're in a principal role for that day, one day a month. And she said, you might be doing fun stuff like observing classrooms, right? Or you know, giving teachers feedback, or you might be doing administrator stuff like investigating who left a cigarette, you know, a Marlboro box in the bathroom. I don't know. I mean, whatever. Right? <laughs> so just like the awful stuff that sucks time. It doesn't matter. So, and I think I had like 10, 10 a year go, you know, through this program. And she said it's the best professional development that they ever do because for, for you know, a very small investment, right, because you're just paying for substitutes for that day, mm -hmm. now they've got these 10 teachers who know whether or not they want to be, the, um, you know, an admin, and they also see the school from a total different view, a total right. different picture now. So Joy talks about, she goes, she says, these are my culture infusers in all those little meetings, and those mm -hmm. water cooler meetings, and that grade level meeting, and that MTSS meeting. Like, they're like, oh, no, no, this is why we do it. When I was in that, you know, program, I saw how things have to maneuver in a charter school. And you have to be that strategic. You have to play chess with your people. You can't play checkers. You, you know, you have to be able to put people in positions to be successful, um, ensure that they feel valued, mm -hmm. right? And these leaders... I'm about to blow some minds here. Um, they spend the majority of their day, right, these heads of schools with their top 20% of their people. Like they're constantly teaching adults how to lead adults. And I, I'll never forget Tom uh, Torkelson, who's the head of the, um, I think it's the IDEA uh, Charter, or no, the Rio Grande Charter School District. It's the largest charter district in the country. And he said, he's the CEO, superintendent of the whole thing. He said, I spend 60% of my day uh, teaching adults how to lead other adults. And I was like, I don't think I spend 60% like, you know, of an hour sometimes doing it, <laughs> you know, because we're so doing so many other things when I was a principal, right? I yeah. mean, the only time that, that that ever happened is, you know, you know, maybe during a staff meeting. So we've got to be intentional about who we see, who can carry that vision for the future, build a strategy and a succession plan for everybody and continue to grow the organization as you're growing the capacity of people. 
and, um, and do it, right? And just don't be afraid to build people because uh, there's a lot of great charter school leaders that, you know, folks have left and started other schools, right? There's five or six schools that kind of branched out of Community School of Davidson. There's, you know, networks of schools of, of uh, great leaders and that's what they're from. So those are the five, right? So it's clear mission, it's um, a, a, a clear education plan where it's mm -hmm. student focused and everybody knows. It's a school culture that's uh, in a learning environment focused on safety and student learning. It's multiple levels of parent engagement. And then lastly, it's strategic personnel decisions. And to make it all happen is maybe like the bonus characteristic for uh, charter schools. And this is site-based decisions. Charter schools have the ability to turn on a dime. Like we're, we're built, we're built to be successful in chaos because mm -hmm. that's what we're, you know, that's, you know, we're, you know, we're innovative. We can turn our education plan. We can change our calendar. We can work, right? We can design to the edge as we keep you know, screaming from the rooftops. Like no longer should we ever, when we're given a mile, take an inch, like take the whole mile. And that's what these, that's what these effective leaders have been able to do is, you know, define the box that they can operate in. Yeah. create a clear vision to be able to move that box and just go. So that's right. They don't wait for permission. They create their plan. And then if a law changes, if legislation comes through that says they can't do it, they tweak the plan they have. Yeah. So that's it. So I put a link in the box if you want to learn more how, you know, how to evaluate, but that's kind of what you do is right. So we, so if, if you were working with us, we would ask you like, what's your ideal vision for these five areas? And then, and then we would help you, right? And what's your current reality? So the mm -hmm. link that I put in there, you can download these 10 indicators of these five characteristics and start to do your own self-evaluation and start to close the gap from, from where you wanna be to where you are. So thanks Rhonda for this opportunity for us to share um, 10 plus years and we'll keep, we'll keep adding to it, so. I think this was great. It, it, it made me think about the school leaders I know that are also school founders. Uh, they, they have a vision for what they want their school to look like and uh, webinars like this are really important because it draws our attention back to where it needs to be. Uh, I know a lot of times when I was a, a principal um, I could fall into that trap of just the day-to-day -day grind of management mm -hmm. and instead of making sure that I was um, making decisions through the vision that I had from the very beginning of the school. And I know even school leaders that, you know, come on board after a school is established, the ones that are the best are the ones that understand how to implement that vision through these five characteristics. If you have these five tight, then you're going to have a successful, effective school. That was really great. And I took a ton of notes. Hey, Rhonda. <laughs> awesome. And, and you know what, you just, you just hit the nail on the head because I was going to share and I forgot of those five schools, right? Three of the leaders are still there, right? So they're founding like leadership and the other, and, and then, and then the one other has gone to turn around a couple other schools. So that's Alex Quigley, right? So Alex was one, Joy Warner, Rudy's at another school, but the same operation and, and then at Franklin Academy and East Kent. She's been there, and so they've taken her leadership, and they've grown into all these other private schools, right? So they're multiplying themselves out mm -hmm. there, and that's the other. If we are talking about the leadership of the people, that's, that's, that's what they do, and they sustain it, and they go, and that's why they're good.
That's why they're good. You know, um, one of the things that drew me to the idea of charter schools in the first place is what you said about site-based decisions. Mm -hmm. um, being able to make decisions that are the benefit of your students and staff every day. And um, we have been given a mile. Legislation is there that allows us to have this kind of flexibility and autonomy and don't box yourself in. If I could do one thing in my career as executive director, it would be to uh, fire up the vision of school leaders and teachers and all stakeholders in charter schools to take advantage of every bit of flexibility that you've been given. Because if you don't, it can very easily be taken away. There are people out there <laughs> who would love to chip away at our flexibility. I see it all the time, and I'm sure you do too in the media. So, well, anyway, uh, I could talk about this all day. I'm sure you could too, but I, I want to thank you so much, Tom and Katie, for that valuable information. And I want to let everyone know that the webinar will be posted on the association's website just in case anybody'd like to go back and re-listen or uh, for those who weren't able to be with us today. And I'd also like to thank the audience for participating. We really appreciate you. And for more information about our sponsor, Utica National Insurance Group, we have um, the contact information here. And I'll, I'd like to thank Michael one more time for sponsoring our webinar today. We can't do things like this without our vendor sponsors. So thank you so much, Michael. My pleasure, Rhonda. Thank you. All right. Well, everyone have a great day. And if you need uh, help from me, feel free to reach out anytime, Rhonda at ncpubliccharters.org. Everybody have a great day. Thanks again. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. All right. Well, thanks again for listening and thanks for staying all the way to the end. Now, what are you going to apply? What are you going to change? What are you going to teach? I mean, that's the key. You know, good intentions is listening to the actual podcast, right? The actual uh, lesson. But intentional action is about taking what you learned from this and then actually embedding it, right? Applying it, right? What are you going to apply? What are you going to change? What are you going to teach? your team, that is, that is your act. Um, so, we'll, so what are you gonna do? Uh, so here's one thing that I would love for you to do. I would love for you uh, to be able to, to get your hands on all of the resources that we have as an organization. Uh, you know, that includes a breakdown of each of the characteristics. It includes um, a, a, a 10 point indicator self-assessment that you can sit down with your team and, and see how you are all you know, doing. Uh, so you can uh, you know, start your plan of action so go to our website, leadersbuildingleaders.com, and then, and then um, there's you know, two ways to actually uh, get this. One, uh, if you go to our website and go to our blog page, you're gonna see um, the five char characteristics blog. You can just go right in there and search it. Uh, the other way is to, probably the easier way, is to go right here in the show notes, and I have linked in uh, a way for you to be able to download all of these resources for free. Now. Doesn't matter if you're a charter school leader, private school leader, district school leader, these five characteristics are going to align with everything that you do as an organization. So don't, so don't, don't go another minute without heading to uh, the show notes of this page, click on 
uh, the link in there and get access to these resources. And also, you know, I need your feedback. So drop in the comments, you know, give a star rating. How do we do? You like it? You don't like it? What was good? What do you want to learn about? What are some, what are some other questions you have? Um, make sure that uh, if you're not a subscriber, uh, please uh, do that to whatever podcast uh, program you're listening on to, because then you'll know every time that we put out our next message. So thanks again for listening. Um, I greatly appreciate you and keep making a difference uh, wherever you are. And remember, it works if you work it. You just have to work it. Bye.